Okay, so last Bible study, we ended in Revelation 20, verse 8, and uh, I'll read it again. And to go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as a sand of the sea. A great multitude of people that are going to be born in the millennium are going to turn against the Lord God of the Bible. Devastating. But last night... I was looking at Second Chronicles chapter 11 and I thought to avoid this type of mutiny occurring, this type of treason, Second Chronicles 11, 16, and after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. To sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers, for the old covenant meant just that, literal sacrifice, animal sacrifice. The best type of sacrifice. It would cost you something to purchase an animal and sacrifice such an animal because you loved the Lord God of Israel. But 16, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel. When your heart gets cold, problems start to occur. And when you start to become cold, you start to become indifferent. And when you start to become indifferent, you start to backslide. And when you start to backslide, you become unusable by the Lord. And if you're not careful, you could die prematurely. Revelation chapter 3, from memory, speaks about those that are lukewarm. And the Lord said he would spew out of his mouth if you were lukewarm. But Second Chronicles is a great scripture to read. Second Chronicles 11:16. And after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, out of all of the churches within the body of Christ, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, such as those that humble themselves, such as those that turned back to the Lord, such as those that started to read the scriptures, started to pray and fast to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem, came to their Bethel, to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. Present your bodies as living sacrifice unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Romans chapter 12. And had such people from Second Chronicles 11, 16, had done that, you wouldn't be reading about this crowd of people from Revelation 20, verse 8, gathering together to battle, the number of whom is as a sand of the sea, a great multitude. And you think for 1,000 years there's going to be peace on earth, which is true, and yet people are going to be born in the millennium, and like those that were born pre the church age, during the church age, after the church age, such are going to fall into sin, are going to rebel and it won't take the devil much time to find such people and march them to oblivion. Look at verse 9, please. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, back in the book of Genesis, Almighty God burnt Sodom and Gomorrah. And when I say burnt, I mean burnt. He burnt all of the men, all of the women, all of the children, all of the animals. He obliterated them all. And people say, this is terrible. I thought God was a God of love. Yes, he is. He's also got a justice and holiness. He won't tolerate sin forever. And much like a parent sets the perimeters around their children's welfare. A good parent, that is, of course. A good parent always have a strict perimeter for their child. The same is true of Almighty God. And he's very gracious. He's long-suffering. Not when any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And for 1,000 years, he's given those that were born in the millennium every chance to be saved. 
every chance to enjoy eternal fellowship with him. And yet the problem is that mankind hates God. Romans chapter 1. There's something in man's DNA which turns him against God. Of course, we know that is original sin. 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, you can't miss that. Tormented, tortured, day and night, forever and ever. For centuries, Catholics, Protestants, Greek and Russian Orthodox, Christians, quote-unquote, believed that hell was forever. Now, such so-called Christian groups don't hold such a position. They've apostatized from hell being forever. But as a Bible-believing Christian, when I first got my hands in this book 14 years ago, I was shocked that hell is forever. Before I was saved, I had no idea what hell was all about. It never came to my mind. I thought when you died, you were judged by your works. And as most people weren't as bad as Hitler or Stalin or Pol Pot or those evil tyrants from the last hundred years or so, I thought they would go to heaven. But the word of God says, no, if you're not born again, you are lost. I like the way this is structured in verse 10. Let's break it down. And the devil, Satan, Lucifer, that deceived them, that's a strong word, to deceive someone, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast, Antichrist, and the false prophet are. The false prophet, as I understand from Revelation, will come from the religious realm. But it says, where the beast and the false prophet are, present tense. When John wrote Revelation around 96 AD, he was given a glimpse of the future. And here's a man in the spirit on the Lord's day, being shown future events as far as he was concerned and yet such events have already been and gone you've got God who is outside of time revealing truths to the prophets in time about events to come outside of their their initial time zones it's very difficult to understand this but the tense here is present John is looking at the false prophets the beast and the devil burning in hell forever and he is getting a glimpse of their literal torture around 96 AD this is also happening after the millennial reign. Now just try and think about that for a moment if you can. You've got John in time being shown future events, way into the future, way into eternity, and they are described in the present tense as being tormented day and night, forever and ever. Now you can't really grasp that. I remember reading years ago when a well-known Calvinist gave a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, a chap called Edwards from memory, and... Uh, when he first gave that message around the 18th century or thereabouts, when he finished giving that message, there were people screaming and rolling around on the floor in absolute horror. Back in the 1930s, Ian Paisley's father, a Northern Ireland preacher, would be preaching to men out in the open, and he'd be preaching on hell, and his recipients of this type of message were screaming, wailing, weeping, mourning over their sins. This is what, 80 years ago? Not 800 years ago. And that man, Paisley Senior, delivered such a strong message on the scripture that people were absolutely aghast, appalled at how sinful they were. They'd met God. And today when you preach about hell, people laugh at you. People think hell is simply a curse word, a cuss word, a word to express disgust or what have you. But the word of God tells you that it's an awful place. In fact, Jesus Christ told us Three times from Mark chapter 9, how the worm never dies. And of course, every Bible outside of the King James Bible has removed that reference from Mark chapter 9. But if you're not saved, you're going to burn. And here the devil has got his comeuppance. The devil, the false prophets, and the Antichrist are burning 
in the present tense. They are still burning. They've been tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. You can't escape from Jesus Christ. As somebody once said, the worst thing that God can do to an unsaved man or woman is to simply let him or her do their own thing. And that's true. When God steps back and allows you to do your own thing, you are finished. And that's why it's good if you are a saved person to have a conscience. That's why it's good if you're born again to get easily convicted over your behavior, over your everyday life. Because that conscience is there to help you. That conscience is a friend, not a foe. But here we are being shown a great white throne. And him that sat on it, Jesus Christ, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. This entire universe will one day go out of existence. And there was found no place for them. And you think to yourself, if we build a cave here, or if we build uh, a building there, if we create a sanctuary over there, or we do this or we do that, we might be able to escape what's going to come. That is delusional thinking. There's a ministry in America which has opened a particular location and it's being offered as a dinosaur park, a place to visit to see how God made the earth. And on the outside, on the surface, it looks pretty innocent, but listen to some of the people that have been have been critiquing it. The position is that this particular place is probably going to be used as an escape centre, somewhere to go during the Great Tribulation to hide from the Antichrist. Now, of course, you can't hide from the Antichrist. When he comes, he will come, and he will do what he's going to come to do. And the same is pictured here concerning hell. You can't escape from Jesus Christ. So receive him today as your saviour, not as your enemy. Look at verse 12, please. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out to those things which are written in the books according to their works. You've got at least three books here. One book is probably going to be for unsaved Gentiles, another for unsaved Jews. But the third book, which is of interest to me, is a book of life. And when you get saved, your name goes into the book of life. Let's break down verse 12 one more time. And I saw the dead, small and great, whoever you are, wherever you are, stand before God, summoned before God. And God here is in reference to Jesus Christ. John chapter 5 and also John chapter 6 from memory. And the books were opened. Two books, one for the Gentiles, like I say, one for the Jews. And another book was opened, which is a book of life. And the dead were judged out to those things which are written in the books according to their works. This term for works at the latter part or the back end of verse 12 is like the judgment seat of Christ. People are going to be born in the millennium, get saved in the millennium, and die in the millennium. And those people that die saved in the millennium are going to be resurrected to be judged according to their works. Now when we die as saved people, we know from 2 Corinthians 5 that we are absent from the body and present with the Lord. And therefore we go straight to heaven, the third heaven, glory, where we are judged for our works. And some of us will get five crowns, four crowns, three crowns, two crowns, one crown, no crown. We're still going to be saved, but we're going to be judged for what we did after we were saved. And here, this group of people are probably either millennial saints that have died saved, of course, or tribulation saints that have died saved. And therefore, this is going to be their judgment. On top of that, this group of people, when they died, their bodies went into the ground, of course, and their souls went back into Abraham's bosom. 
This is very much a throwback pre the Lord's ascension. 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Now get a picture of the unsaved being judged for their works. And we were told back in Matthew chapter 12 that by our thoughts, by our words, by our deeds, we will be justified. What you say in secret will be exposed in the light. And that's a fearful thing to have to consider. But here, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Every sea wreck, every naval disaster, every submarine catastrophe will now give up its dead. And death and hell, Luke 16, the first death, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Many people think they can live a life of their own choosing, do their own thing, and uh, as the world say, beat the rap. But that's not the case at all. You may go through life, you may have 60, 70, 80 years in this life, you may make a lot of money, and yet one day you will die and be judged. In fact, just yesterday we were outside the British Museum, and this nice car pulled up. It may have been a Daimler Sovereign, I don't know what the model was. And there was a VIP in the back seat, behind the passenger seat. An elderly man, I'd say in his mid to late 80s, and the driver did a three-point turn, and he wanted to drive into the British Museum. And the security team cleared space for him, opened the gates, and this car drove straight through the gates. Now, of course, you know, you know that if, if you and I were to try and do that, we wouldn't get through the gates. they say you've got to queue up with all the uh, minions. But for this VIP, they made a space for him to drive in, in his nice Dame of Sovereign, and off he went into the British Museum. That man pictures... A wealthy man. That man is found in James chapter 5. That man is found in James chapter 2. That man is the type of man that is condemned in scripture. Because he is a wealthy man. He is probably trusting in his riches to be saved. And he took a quick glance at our little group of Bible believers outside the museum. And looked away. Completely not interested whatsoever. But one day, that man from yesterday will be judged according to his works. And here, the sea has given up their dead. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, first death, not second death, and they were judged, every man, without exception, according to their works. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a sinless God, of a holy God. Verse 14, please. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death. Now your problems begin. It was bad enough that you died the first time, lost, and went into the ground, referred to as Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, the pit, the ground, that was bad enough that you went into the ground, and I mean deep into the ground, and you were there, like in a sense of being detained, like a detention center, and you were waiting on remand for your day of judgment, and perhaps you thought when the judgment comes around, I might be able to sweet talk the judge, I might have a good lawyer or barrister present to represent me, and maybe if I throw myself on the mercy of the court, I might be able to escape this awful place of torment. In fact, the rich man in hell, Luke 16, 19-31, was pleading with Abraham to intercede for him. And Abraham said, we can't come to you, you can't come to us. You've had Moses and the prophets. If that's not enough for you, nothing will be. And he was screaming, pleading with Abraham to do something for his five brethren. And Abraham said, sorry, too little, too late. And that rich man is in hell today. And no doubt his five brethren later joined him and one of the awful realities of hell is that you will never know whether your family made it to heaven or not and you could be 20 yards away from your mother or your father burning in fact we were told from verse 1 how this angel 
which came down from heaven had the key to the bottomless pit. And I mean bottomless pit. You can't even imagine it really, can you? All these horror films that I've watched over the years before I got saved. Terrifying films. And yet, such films are so feeble when it comes to trying to comprehend the enormity of hell. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second and final death. And off you go into eternity. And according to my Bible, you will be in a lake of fire. And at the same time, you'll be in outer darkness. And people say, is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. Because according to Mark chapter 9, which is found in, in Isaiah 66, the unsaved soul of man or woman becomes a worm. Degeneration of some kind. Evolution teaches that man came from animal, and yet the word of God suggests that man goes back to animal in a type of a worm shape. don't quite understand that, but if I understand Mark 9, Isaiah 66, and those scriptures are just given you correctly, then it's an awful, awful picture of a worm burning in hell. Of course, worms are blind, and you won't be able to speak or hear or see, and you'll be burning consciously in hell forever. And this kind of teaching infuriates Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists and others. In fact, I watched a so-called religious broadcast some weeks ago. And I like to watch these broadcasts sometime to see how they handle these scriptures. And this ministry, I think they were Seventh-day Adventists, they are somewhat cagey as to what denomination they are, were almost ridiculing people such as myself for teaching that hell is forever. But they misunderstand that God is eternal. And they misunderstand that when God made man, he made man in his own image. And therefore man is made with an eternal soul. And they were making the case that unsaved people die and are annihilated. How that would be nice to believe. It would be so nice to hold to that view. I've got unsaved family. I'd be quite happy to say, yes, when my family die, they're going to just be annihilated. Praise the Lord for that. But that's not what the scripture says. Thankfully, when we arrive in eternity, we are glorified. In fact, I think of memory, it's Revelation 19, how the Lord wipes away all of our tears. Which means we are changed. Which means when we see such a crowd being judged, and I'll come to that in a moment, we won't necessarily have the comprehension, the emotions that we had before we were glorified. It's going to be painful for us, but not as painful as it could have been. And we will say, just and holy is the Lord God Almighty. Verse 15, we'll close here. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That pictures the possibility, if not the probability, that those that died in the millennium are going to be resurrected to be judged for their works. And most people take this verse to teach that when we all die, we get judged at the great white throne judgment, which is incorrect. We've had our judgment, Romans chapter 6, and we know from other scriptures that we are already in heaven with the Lord in a spiritual sense. No, this is speaking about those that were born, those that died, lost, in the millennial kingdom of our Lord are going to be judged. And if you're not found, off you're going to lake of fire. But if you were saved in the millennium, then this is for you. Verse 15, because it does suggest that if you're not found, you're going to be damned. But if you are found, you're going to be rewarded. Nothing in here whatsoever to suggest that church age saints are going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. One last time, the great white throne judgment is for the unsaved people. From creation to Calvary, from Calvary to the end of the millennium, and possibly for those that died in the tribulation, lost of course, almost definitely, but more specifically for those that died in the millennium. Also from yesterday's message, which I didn't quite uh, bring out, was Revelation 20 verse 4, and I read it again, great scripture, and I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, 
and judgment was given unto them. You've got a picture here of the apostles judging fallen angels. The church possibly is present to witness this. And I believe also to witness the unsaved being judged as well. So we're going to be with the Lord for eternity, of course. And we will see what is going to occur at the great white throne judgment. And like I say, once we are redeemed, once we are glorified, our memory of our time on the earth has been eradicated, been erased. It would have to be, otherwise it's too painful for us. And I saw the souls of them that will be headed for the witness of Jesus. Antichrist, of course, will be beheading people and probably televising it as well. And for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And the question gets asked, what about children that are born in the tribulation? What happens if they take the mark of the beast? That's a very good question. If their parents are unsaved, they come under their parents' covering. And I guess it goes back to Sodom and Gomorrah. You had people in Sodom and Gomorrah, people in the days of Noah, just ordinary, everyday people that rejected Noah's witness, that rejected Lot's feeble attempt to preach against such wickedness. And like I said at the beginning of this message, Almighty God burnt them, destroyed them. And yet the children, if I understand my Bible correctly, according to Deuteronomy chapter 1, Romans 4 and Romans 5, are innocent. They're not yet at the age of accountability, and therefore they are saved by the blood of Christ. They still have Adam's sin, but before they are old enough to comprehend right and wrong, they are saved, they are pardoned, if you will. So I would say this, very briefly, that those that live in the tribulation, uh, those that have children in the tribulation, and those that take the mark of the beast in the tribulation, and I'm not sure whether children will have to take the mark of the beast in the tribulation or not. Probably not. In fact, if you think about it, most parents, in fact, all parents who have bank accounts, have credit cards, and children don't have credit cards. So I think my view would be this, that parents will take the mark in the tribulation, not the children. I don't see whether children would have to take the mark of the beast in the tribulation. But if they did take the mark of the beast in the tribulation, if they did, if it was compulsory for them, then going back to Sodom and Gomorrah, going back to Noah, going back to Mark chapter 10, Concerning the children, such is the kingdom of God. I would say this, that the blood of Christ will probably exonerate them from their parents' actions because it was their parents that made them take the mark of the beast, not the children per se. But don't wait to tribulation. Don't put this off. Don't take the chance that all will be well. On top of that, we were told from Second Thessalonians chapter 2 how God himself will send out strong delusion to all those that are on the earth that they might believe a lie and be damned because they would not receive the truth being Jesus Christ of course so there you are Revelation 20 15 verses looked at over two consecutive mornings and please if you're not saved get saved and if you strayed from the Lord go back to Second Chronicles eleven sixteen and read it prepare your hearts for the Lord turn back to the Lord present your bodies as a sacrifice unto the Lord confess your sins to him First John chapter 1 and you will be cleansed pardoned and brought back into full fellowship with the Lord. And if you're not saved, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just trust in his death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible says you pass from death unto life. But if you put it off, if you die in your sins, this is what awaits you. Fifteen awful, terrible verses, just dreadful verses to read and ponder on. And if you die without Christ, you lose it all. But if you get saved, you win everything. And as somebody once said, it's not getting something for nothing, It's getting everything for nothing.